This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Army has been talking for years about the need to modernize its IT networks. But in a forthcoming digital transformation strategy, officials are thinking bigger. Besides making technical upgrades, the multi-year strategy will try to reform the Army's IT policies, upskill its workforce, and build new partnerships with industry and academia. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu has a preview on what the Army leaders are thinking. Army leaders first called out the need for digital transformation in their broader Army modernization strategy in 2018. But the digital transformation strategy, set for formal release this week, is meant to explain exactly what the Army means. Dr. Raj Shah, the Army's chief information officer, says the roadmap will be organized into three pillars, modernization and readiness, reform, and people and partnerships. Speaking at the annual AUSA conference in Washington on Wednesday, he said the strategy asserts the Army's IT struggles are fundamentally not a money problem. The service, after all, spends about $15 billion a year on information technology. But without a cohesive strategy focused on modern digital approaches, much of that money is going to be diverted away from meaningful modernization. What the ADTS lets us do is to achieve unity of effort. If you don't have this, commanders are going to do what they're good at doing, execute and operating their mission. PMs are going to do what they're best at doing, which is sticking to cost performance and schedule and what's in the requirements for their program. Right? What the ADTS does is gets the CIO and the senior leaders strategically engaged to make sure that we are overseeing the policies that we've established to say that we are going to be cloud native with everything that we do. But we got to make sure that we are providing the right oversight and the right support and help to the acquisition community and to work with industry to make sure that all of you folks understand the strategic intent and the direction we're headed. That's what the ADTS helps us do. Likewise, taking an enterprise approach to cybersecurity will be a big focus area within the modernization pillar. Major General Matt Easley, the Army's chief information security officer, says that's partly because the nature of the threats the Army faces has changed fairly dramatically since its networks and cyber protection mechanisms were first designed. It used to be a perimeter defense would work well for our, our defending our systems. Now a lot of those attacks have moved up the tax service to, to an application level or to the person level. And that's forcing us to change the way we think of cybersecurity, the way we think of the network, the way we think of our systems that need to be pulled together to be these operational systems. You heard us talk about the cloud as part of that. One key I want to at least pull the thread on here a little bit is our network and, and our system architectures to put this together. The Army is a very large and complex organization. We have just of our main camp posts and stations, 128. But if you include the National Guard, the Army Reserve, and other installations, we have more than 3,000 installations. How we pull all that technology from just normal systems that are running those buildings into our enterprise architecture is, is a huge shift. If you look at the number of systems we authorize, so we have a, a large number of authorizing officials that authorize more than 3,000 systems. Normalizing those systems so that they're using a similar cybersecurity solution, that they're using a similar data standards, they're using a similar cloud infrastructure is the way we're going to scale this. And having a strong centralized enterprise strategy for this is key. And Shaw says the Army can't transform its approach to things like network infrastructure and cybersecurity without also making a concerted effort to update its IT policies. The bulk of those governing documents were written in an earlier era. Shaw says some are 30 to 40 years old, and in many cases they simply stand in the way of soldiers and Army civilians who are already trying to innovate with modern digital tools. They also complicate the Army's implementation of modern cybersecurity principles like zero trust. Zero trust is the opposite of what we've done in the past where we said, hey, we're going to build systems, and our policy said, well, this is how we're going to protect the perimeter for those systems, right? Perimeter defense approach. 
and policies that we need for zero trust is all about saying we're not going to let anybody in. That's our policy, and now we're gonna, you know, we're gonna using analytics determine, you know, whether you're a good actor or a bad actor, right? So I think these are the things that we have to do in terms of AI and robotic process automation. You know, I think we're, we're, we still don't yet have enterprise policy, but you know, how do we? What do we do with bots on the network, right? These non-person entities. Um, you know, we used to give out CAC cards to people, and they, that's how you know they have access to the network. Now we have, you know, bots on the network doing a lot of automation and doing things, and we need the right policies around, you know, how to make sure that they have these bots are treated like humans with the right access privileges and so on. Meanwhile, the strategy's people-focused pillar aims to build the Army's bench of digital talent. The service has already started efforts to upskill and reskill the 72,000 military and civilian employees in its IT workforce. Shaw says one of the strategy's goals is to create a centralized easy button for deploying cloud-based infrastructure so that the workforce can focus on higher-end tasks, not managing servers and data transport. If we don't get ahead of the people talent, the race for talent, we run the risk of losing this right from the get-go. So we're building capacity, but we're building it at a, at a small, reasonable, you know, with reasonable expectations. I do not want to go create a dozen software factories like some of the other services did. We have to learn from what we're doing at the software factory in Austin, get the lessons learned, and talk about then how we're going to scale it. We also do not want to limit that, limit that just to Compo 1. How do we take advantage of the expertise that we have in Compo 2 and Compo 3? People that are actually doing this in their day-to-day -day jobs, right, when they work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, but then we're not able to take advantage of them in their reservist or National Guard capacity, right? How do we build that, that marketplace of talent across the Army, independent of what your MOS is or what compo you work for or whether you're a civilian or a contractor, right? How do we build, build that virtual ecosystem? Dr. David Markowitz, the Army's chief data officer, says much of the workforce planning is being done via a separate but related digital human capital strategy. So far, the Army's digital workforce questions have been highly focused on data specialties, but the analysis will also encompass the skills and number of personnel needed for functions like cloud architecture and cyber defense. Some of the areas we've tried to do is identify common skills that are kind of like 90% of the workforce. So kind of basic data manipulation, data analytics, and try to identify which of those are the higher end skill sets. Our next step is then to make sure that is visible across the uh, TRADOC school sets. Fort Lee, CASCOM has already incorporated a lot of data, data analytics. Cyber Center of Excellence has already started to include that as well. But we want to make sure we kind of get a common metric about skills across. We're also interested in zero baselining to make sure our cyber workforce is trained to do the work that they're doing and making sure they match, right? What can we automate so that we can get people out of normal, highly labor-intensive tasks and to change that skill set to more of working the tools that automate. But that work is still more, uh, will be continuous kind of review. Are we about right? I wish I could kind of, by this point, we'll be mostly there. I'm not exactly sure when the timeline is as we've kind of done that zero baseline restructuring. The skill set and that transformation will be with us for at least five years, if not a decade. My gut sense, it's going to take that amount of time. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including commander, 
Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean 
And you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, 
and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.